Manufacturing Hub. We are jumping into June. June is an exciting theme. We're talking about all about integrators of the future. We've got Sam here. Sam is, we will go ahead and introduce Sam in just a minute. Very excited to have this conversation. And we want to thank our longtime sponsors and friends, Opto22, for continuing to support us and for sponsoring this theme. If you guys are new here, welcome. If you've been here before, welcome back. If you guys are new here, our goal is to have an open and fun conversation. We love questions and comments that come in through the chat. Sam had posted, I think it was earlier today or yesterday, of come join me here right now. And I posted, come try to go stump Sam with some of the questions. I saw Jeff Winter. He either liked that or he he commented on that. And I know you guys have worked together for a while or we worked yeah. together for a while, Sam. So I don't know. If Jeff comes with some really interesting questions, the conversation might be interesting. But as we go through, please feel free to go ahead and have a conversation in the chat. We generally have a very active chat, especially on LinkedIn and a little bit also on the Solus PLC YouTube. So very excited, very excited about that. Before we jump in, I do want to shout out Litmus. Litmus.io is doing their Do More With Data Summit. That is tomorrow. It is all day jam-packed full of a bunch of great speakers and presenters, including myself. And you guys will certainly notice a number of guests and other people from Manufacturing Hub will also be on the Do More with Data Summit. So go ahead and check that out. If you have somehow managed to miss it on the internet, you might be the only one at this point because I feel every 20 minutes I'm getting tagged in a post and that should be exceptionally exciting. Also, without further ado, Everyone, welcome to Manufacturing Hub. I am Dave. This guy down here is Vlad. Again, we've got Sam Russum from Grand Tech on. We're talking about all about the integrators of the future. We're going to have a little bit of a flavor talking about food and beverage and comparing that to life sciences today. And I am super excited about this conversation. Sam, welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks a lot for having me, guys. I'm excited to, to do the show. Yeah, really appreciate you joining us today, Sam. Before we dive into the integration topics, could you give us a little bit of a background of yourself? Yeah, for sure. I'm a good person to be here talking about systems integrators because that has been my career since I graduated from university. So I've been at Grand Tech for 14 years now, and I've held a lot of different positions and types of roles within the company. So I started as a systems engineer, programming PLCs and SCADA systems, configuring historians at a bunch of food and beverage and life sciences plants. I got into more of the data side of things, right? So I started getting into more of the reporting, the analytics, how we tie all of these systems together. At the time we were calling it manufacturing IT a lot. So I was our manufacturing IT manager for a while doing things like that. And then, yeah, over time, again, the language evolved into smart manufacturing. And to jump ahead today, I am our senior director of smart manufacturing solutions. And what that means for us is a lot of times in the life of an integrator, which again, we're going to spend a lot of the time in the podcast I'm talking about today. You're doing a lot of responsive things, right? You're responding to RFPs, you're talking to customers, you're gathering requirements and solving that one individual problem that's presented to you. And that's not what my team does. We do more of the smart manufacturing solutions at scale. We talk to customers at the corporate level or when they're really planning on doing a larger rollout of a solution and really making sure that we are designing for that outcome at scale, flexible enough to adapt to all of the changes and crazy things that you see on the manufacturing floor while delivering a consistent experience to the people that need to use that data. So our label verification solutions, our OE accelerator solutions, things like that all fall into those categories of that type of consistent engagement solution. Yeah. 
Sam, if I can ask you one question for listeners who are maybe still early on in their career and maybe on the more technical side, I'm curious if they're looking to follow in your footsteps, what kind of opportunities or maybe learning initiatives they should be looking for in order to round up their technical expertise in order to move up in that direction? Is it maybe learning how to communicate with the customers better? Maybe is it learning how the system integration business works? Like, I'm curious, like what your thoughts were like as you moved up within Grand Tech? Yeah, it's a great question. I, my career personally, I would say was guided a lot by the opportunities that were presented to me at the time. When I graduated from school, I thought I was going to be a keyboard monkey programmer, like the entire, my entire career. Right. Oh, and that was what I was really passionate about and what I thought I would be doing, but that's not really where kind of the opportunities led me. Right. I spent a while as a project manager. Right. And I found that managing a team and there, there was some administration to it that I didn't like all the time. Gosh, I, the amount of time I spent in Microsoft projects drove me crazy, right? Or negotiating over invoices (laughs) or things like that. But to lead a team of 12 people that need to go and cut over a site within a weekend. And if you don't do that, plant doesn't come up in time and you're all in real trouble. That was a fun rush and an interesting challenge to go and do. And then sometime on, on the business side, now more on the strategy and kind of leadership team of the company side of things. So there's a lot of different directions that you could take it. I would say be open to the opportunities that come up. And one thing that I would really recommend is don't be afraid of the sales side of things as well. So Again, I feel like a lot of engineers, a lot of programmers, especially me, again, coming out of school, I, I thought of sales as a dirty word, right? And that was the people that are just the snake oil salesmen that are going out there and, and pitch, pitching the world and can't really deliver it. They don't care how this thing actually needs to go together. They just wanted to make the sale, right? That's not really how it goes. And I think that attaching yourself to a salesperson being the technical resource that is helping with that business development can teach you a lot about how your customers think and about the value of the work that you're doing. To be more direct and name drop, Mike Fistner was our local sales guy that I was working with for a long time. And he was in in charge of finding those new leads, learning the corporate structure of all these customers. But then when he had a technical thing, he would grab me and say, come on, Sam, we're going to site. I'm going to get you in this boardroom or in front of a whiteboard where it designed this thing. And that was just really a great experience and like really working with him so closely, I think taught me the value of that side of the business. Doesn't mean you need to become a salesperson, but it's a really important thing to learn just as these businesses operate. Awesome. I really like the detailed explanation. I really appreciate that, Sam. Thank you so much. As a follow-up, so Dave, go ahead. I was going to say, Sam, if I can jump in, I'd like to talk a little bit more about that transition, because as we talk about integrators of the future, it is people, and I'm going to use your words, mostly because I might also use the words, but to use your words, it becomes the, you at some point get into integration. Most integrators have started because they were in integration before, and then they hang out their own shingle and they are the keyboard monkey. And then they're like, oh, I've got to do all these business things as well. And then if they grow as Grand Tech has to multiples of hundreds of people, then it becomes, hey, I've got to go put in this sales. I've got to go put in support. I have to go hire people to manage projects, to manage teams. I have to go increase that. Can you talk a little bit more about that transition to you personally? Because I think it's going to mirror maybe the struggles or the questions that people have in their careers of, do I want to become more than a subject matter expert? Yeah, absolutely. And especially because it's something, again, now that I'm on more of the business management side of Grant Tech, 
that we have to very intentionally make paths for people that might want to go in that business direction or might want to stay on the technical side, right? And they are both valid and good careers that can you can stay in or swap between the two or kind of whatever throughout, right? I do think that going to project management and team management, which you know, is a hybrid role for us for a little bit of time there, was a good step, right? Because that technical knowledge was still really valuable, but it starts to make you think more in terms of dollars and risk and things like that to your project, right? And then Dave, yeah, you're totally right. You, some young integrators could be joining a huge company with thousands of people, but a lot of these companies do grow from two guys in a truck is the joke or a small company of 10 people and go get larger over time. And you, it, you'll see if it tickles you or not, right? Are you interested in trying to think we have 10 people today, this company can grow to, to 20 people and take on bigger projects, more interesting projects. And then if we're going to take, go to the next step, it's going to take 40 people and that continuous doubling of growth kind of means different opportunities, but it also means more of a business mindset that you're going to have to take to this too, running a small business to a medium business to potentially one day a large business. And Sam, if I can elaborate on that same train of thought, and since this is the first episode of the systems integration theme, I think it's very important yeah. also to have the conversation of what is or how do you define a systems integrator? And more importantly, from the end user standpoint, at least from my experience, sometimes you can pick up the phone and call a systems integrator and they have only, let's say, a PLC, HMI, SCADA capability, right? Versus yeah. nowadays, I think it's more of a conversation. We need the right partner that can help us also along the entire stack, right? It could be also ITOT convergence. It could be ERP MES system. So I'm curious, and again, maybe not just specifically focusing on Grand Tech, but ultimately, what do you see the landscape of systems integrator look like today? Yeah, it's a broad term. You're absolutely right. It's like saying that you're a programmer, right? A programmer can be programming in all sorts of different things. They can have different expertise and languages they speak and things like integration can be a big business. And we're even now we're specifically talking about manufacturing systems integrators, right? There are systems integrators that are professionals in integrating different banking systems and things like that too, right? You're not going to call me or you guys around anything like that. We're talking about PLCs and manufacturing and things, right? I do think that kind of one of the most, you know, sorry, maybe at its core, right? It is as lame as it sounds, integrating systems. The idea in general is taking these manufacturing systems that normally manufacturers are buying from multiple different vendors or OEMs and things like that. Sorry, original equipment manufacturers. If you're not mm -hmm. familiar with that. Um, these different pieces of machinery that were each designed to complete a specific function, but weren't necessarily designed to interact with each other to, to produce something as a whole. And a lot of what we as an integrator are doing is the design or the programming that you need to create that vision of how all these different machines can come together. And then, yeah, Vlad, as you're mentioning that kind of how deep you go into that and your level of expertise in the technologies that you're working with can vary significantly, right? Mm -hmm. It can be that you are just focused on that PLC and SCADA side of things. You might have some expertise around the consulting and the design piece of it, or you might just want to get handed a spec. You could also, one of our specialties these days is really on the MES side of things. But yeah, if you're a smaller integrator of five to 10 people taking on a large MES project might really not be in your wheelhouse. And then even beyond that, I mean, if, let's say you're just on the PLC side. 
a PLC is not a PLC everywhere, a Rockwell versus a Siemens versus an Opto 22, like all of these different brands of PLCs have different environments and nuances to them. So it can mean so many different things, which is why I've had to explain to my grandmother what I do so many different times. And I think she's starting to get it, but <laughs> not quite there yet because it's really complicated. It's complex. Gotcha. No, I, I really like the definition. And maybe as a follow-up to that, do you think that the end user requirements are changing for systems integrators, or do you think there is a playing field for all of those, I want to say, different players to still be around and still be value added versus now we're expecting data extraction. Now we're expecting databases for that data. We want to drive business decisions. And I know Grantech does all of those things, but a lot of times when it's, as you said, a two-person operation, it's very difficult maybe to cover all of that entire stack. So I'm curious like what your thoughts are on the end users. Yeah, I think that there will always be different sizes and shapes of, of systems integrators, as long as there are different sizes and shapes of manufacturing customers to address, right? A company the size of Grantech, we are thinking of large multi-site Fortune 500, Fortune 100 companies that are brand names that a lot of people know. But just their small integration companies, they're small manufacturing companies that might just have one site or are growing into three, four sites, right? And you're frequently, I think, matching with a company at a similar scale to where you're at, is I think that pricing can certainly scale in that similar way, but as can like intimacy of it, right? Especially as you're a smaller operation, we're just starting out you can't really afford necessarily the spin-up time of different companies coming in and even different resources from the same company coming in to constantly have to relearn your process, right? Those, quote again, two guys in a truck could be perfect for you because they can show up at your plant every day. They're going to know it really well. But then as you start to scale, either that company needs to scale with you mm -hmm. or you're going to need to find another company at a kind of a scale that matches and being able to address your needs. Gotcha. I like that. Dave, thoughts, comments? I like those comments a lot. I really appreciate the scale. I think that to your point, Sam, most people have started out with two guys and maybe a truck or two guys in a rental car, depending upon what you're doing in our right. <laughs> Absolutely. And so I think that is certainly interesting. I do want to, I do want to call out one of Sam's counterpart, Huck Bales. He was on the show working with Grant Tech. He is doing a lot of their MES stuff. He was all the way back on episode 10 which is what I was looking at. If you want to get a little bit of a slightly different, but fairly similar perspective, or maybe compare and contrast where Grand Tech is now compared to, I don't know, 110 episodes ago, that, that, is all, that, that could also be a good conversation. So I appreciate that. I guess I want to talk a little bit more about the scaling. Can you share a little bit of your path with Grand Tech or maybe Grand Tech's path of going from a couple of people to this behemoth that you, that you guys have come. How did that, how did that come, how, wow, I can't talk. How did that come about? <laughs> what was the decision to say, hey, we want to continue to grow and scale. That is our future, as opposed to we are happy to be at, I don't know, 10 people or 50 people, whatever that size looked like. Yeah, good question. And it is, Interesting to hear, to come up with an answer for it too, because again, like so much of it was through the course of my career. Yeah. I certainly wasn't thinking about the company and the way it grew and the management structure and things like that when I was 22 years old. That was something that I picked up on more over time as I got more curious about it, honestly. But a couple of things lead to that growth, right? So again, like Grand Tech did smart, start as a very small integrator. So we've been around for 40 years, actually. 
And it started when I believe it was Procter and Gamble decided to change the way that they were doing their engineering. Like a lot of companies did in the the eighties, right? Said, we're not going to have these in-house engineers anymore. We're going to go to contract based work. We're going to contract out all these systems integrators to, to do this for us. So they fired Doug Grant, one of their main engineers, and then immediately hired him back as a contractor. (laughs) He and his son and our now CEO, Dave Patterson, were employees two and three, right? Working out of their garage, their basements on drafting tables and things like that, right? So that two guys in a truck is a, it's a real thing, right? And that is how our company started as well. By the time I joined, there was Soon after a transition where our current CEO, Dave Patterson, took over the company, we're a privately owned company, and he certainly did have ambitions to grow and to maintain the company too, not to build it for acquisition or something like that, but he really enjoyed, I think, the the challenge and the business opportunities of that growth. So we've always been targeting steady growth in our business and our organization over the years, which did, and actually this is, I think, an interesting thing to talk about too, we have had to reorganize the company. We started as more of a regional, almost like franchise model. I joined the Allentown, Pennsylvania office, and we had one in Chicago and Montreal, Toronto, and I believe Vancouver, maybe at the time, I'm not quite sure. And yeah, we all operated semi-independently, right? We would trade resources back and forth and we, as project demands needed and things like that. And it worked well, But what we found was challenging was actually, again, as we got to more, as we got deeper into our customers Mm -hmm. and we're doing more work with them, they expected consistency in approach and to be able to deploy multi-site projects, again, like really consistently, like we were hearing, if I call your Chicago office or your Allentown office, it seems like I'm talking to two different companies. Mm -hmm. So we reorganized and went to a more centralized model. And a lot of it was to address the needs of our customers at the scale that we were hitting, right? And that's worked really well. And that's still the way that we work in this centralized, more matrixed organization with a sales team and a project management team and an operational engineering team behind that and the whole back office too that I won't get into. But yeah, and that really helped to address those large corporate co- clients that we were really trying to do more work with. I like the comments on on growth, right? And Sam, I really like that story. As a follow-up, I guess, I'm curious to discuss a bit more on the human capital side, right? So I think to support that growth, you certainly need very competent people because, again, systems integration, I think, requires many skill sets that are not easily found. So I'm curious if you're seeing any change in 2023. I think there was some turbulence, as we all know, in 2022, 2021. Is it still... Do you have an easy time finding the skill sets that you need to support the initiatives? And also maybe what are some of those shifts, right? Are you still looking primarily maybe for electrical engineers? Are you looking now more for software engineers to support that entire stack? I'm curious to hear your thoughts on how, I guess, you and your team are thinking about how do we get the people we need into the seats that we're looking to fill to support the end users? Yeah, it certainly is a challenge where I think we're a pretty close knit community. Again, like a lot of the people that are listening to this podcast might know me or know you guys, right? A lot of the integration company or industry, I think uh, is familiar with each other. And I think that part of that for, again, for better or worse, is that I don't 
not enough people are going to university or kind of going to higher education thinking, man, I can't wait to be a systems integrator programmer or programmer in a factory, right? Yep. It's just kind of isn't this big thing that I think is really promoted. And I think there are kind of organizations and changes around that. For example, we did a whole, we helped build some curriculum for uh, Purdue University and their smart manufacturing program. Mm -hmm. They were starting to get university students through. So yeah, I do think that, and sorry, uh, I'm stumbling a little bit, but like I didn't plan to go into this early either when I was coming out of college. So in university, I was really into robotics. I had this really great opportunity to work in a robotics lab and we made bio-inspired robots that are very similar to the Boston Dynamics mm -hmm. things that you see today. Like, again, that's really what I thought I'd be doing. It was in the middle of a recession. So I took the job in engineering in Pennsylvania that was appealing and it happened to be Grand Tech. And I happened to find this really great passion around manufacturing, but that grew. I wasn't born with it. I'm definitely spiraling a little bit here, but yeah, I do think that the talent pool around people that are learning to do this and interested in doing this isn't as wide as I wish it could be. So there is, and again, I think there's a lot of people too that are again, getting to those retirement ages and looking towards the end of their careers. And one of the things that really blows people's minds sometimes when I talk to them about factories, if they're not used to working in them, is just the legacy equipment that you will find in some of these things. I joke that some of the value of our, I think we have a slide in our slide deck around the number of engineers that we have with over 15, 20 years of experience. Yeah. And I joke and I'm like, and that's because we walk in and we see equipment that is 20, 40 years old, and we need to call up those guys and say, oh my God, what is this? So it's tough. So we do, I think we do need to be refining those technical skills for ourselves and for, and again, like aspire, inspiring some more education in the community, because it is tough to find the right people. And I think also to answer the other part of your question around what type of people we're looking for, I do think that's going to vary from integrator to integrator, depending on their specialty, right? Grand Tech right now, yeah, we're still looking at some electrical designers, we have a lot of PLC SCADA programmers. Our MES and smart manufacturing team is probably our fastest growing team. Absolutely. I guess I'd like to go add to Sam's comment about integration being a very small, close-knit community. If you spend any amount of time in integration and you don't know a person, it doesn't generally take more than a couple of phone calls or a couple of messages to, to learn what you need to learn about another person who also works in systems integration. And many of them are great. Many of them, I certainly am very happy to call my friends, including everyone on this call and the vast majority, if not everyone, we have had conversations with on Manufacturing Hub. I have certainly seen the opposite side, though, of if you stop, if you do not do a good job, it very quickly gets around that you're not doing a good job. And if you continue down that path, there is generally a maybe you should go try another industry opportunity within integration and certainly within manufacturing. I guess I'd like to slightly transition this away. I love the comments of how Grand Tech has grown. I'd like to talk about as you're growing, you guys are looking towards the future. And I'd love to get the what you think the integrators of the future are going to look like. I'd like to start answering that big question of what does Sam, what does Grand Tech think the integrator of the future is going to look like? Yeah, so I do think that especially when you get to the medium to larger sized integrators, at least some of the trends that I'm seeing is that I do think there's going to be more of an emphasis on that business consulting, technical consulting, preliminary design piece of things than just the technical side of the way that it's all going to come together. Manufacturers, I think, are experiencing a similar 
brain drain that I just described might be happening in the integration community, right? You have people that really might not be super familiar with how their own plants work or their own processes and maybe didn't have the proper mentorship to learn, to learn that, right? And they rely on integrators like Grand Tech to be able to figure that out, right? I'm thinking, like I know of a specific bakery, for example, that I think that they had their oven expert of over 50 years tenure, and he was the guy who knew how to tune all the dials and get that oven dialed in perfectly, right? And when he starts to, and I remember when they came to me, they were like, he's going to retire soon. So we want to figure out how we can use AI to do all of the things that he was doing. And I said, okay, that's great, but <laughs> that's probably not going to happen as smoothly as you think it is. Something like an AI or a computer system isn't the immediate solution to that. You guys are going to need to mentor people and train your own experts and things like that too. And I do think that at the time, Grand Tech ended up providing a lot of that expertise, right? And learning programmatically a little bit more about how this was doing, what can we put in code so that we can have the next generation of people not have to be as deep into the knowledge of how this works as that other, that former person was. But yeah, that, that deeper design, that kind of preliminary case, even going into creating the business cases and supporting your customers and making the ROI justifications for your own project is probably going to happen more and more. Awesome. And I guess as a follow-up to the previous conversation, again, on the people joining in these integrators of the future, I'm curious, Sam, if you have a thought about maybe some green or red flags when it comes to previous experience, right? So I'm thinking if someone's graduating with a mechanical degree, then gets, let's say, two years at an end user would make a better, let's say, systems integration hire versus someone who has a maybe a master's in computer science that spent a number of years developing those software applications. I'm curious to see if you have any maybe thoughts on patterns that you've seen. And if you're willing to share some of that knowledge, I'm curious what your thoughts are as we move forward in, in my at least opinion, in a more software oriented, I think, solution provider. Yeah, that's a really great question because I'm actually a little split on that. A lot of me wants to say that a huge part of this business is still going to be the ability to throw on some steel toed shoes, put on a hard hat, go out there on the shop floor, plug into stuff and figure out how to make it work. And yeah, if you're a computer science major that was really used to working in a cubicle and that's not as appealing to you, it might not quite be the job for you. But I've also seen that changing as well, especially I think the pandemic, I think opened a lot of people's eyes to the possibilities of remote work and even offshore work and things like that as well, where there are people that might be doing more of that core programming offsite. And then the commissioning teams that are going out there onto the shop floors and actually implementing a lot of this could be a different team. And that might change the profiles of the people that we're looking at. So I'm kind of waffling on that one and trying to figure out exactly kind of it off. Also, I will say one thing that I always like to say is not a red that we joke about is if, if somebody can tell you a story about how they accidentally shut down an entire plant, that's not a red flag. That's a green flag that ev everyone's done it. <laughs> it means that you were working I mean, at the level where you were able learning. to do it. Exactly, right? I did it on the first project I ever did. I shut down uh, the entire sugar feeding system to a bakery and you really need sugar in a bakery. I still think it wasn't my fault. But I, I had the plant manager over <laughs> my shoulder the whole time. We all told those war stories at the bar. Yeah, so it, it is an important. Don't, just because people may have tripped a little bit in the past, they, they hopefully learned from those experiences. And it's a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't think there's, again, there's no right or wrong answer. I've worked with people who had 
a sports background for better or for worse that then transitioned yeah. into working at a systems integrator and programming PLCs. It's just, it's an interesting thought. And I think it's also a way to communicate maybe to the younger generation, like maybe you should be doing an apprenticeship before, let's say going in and getting an engineering degree or working on mechanical, then combining that with robotics. Because I think a lot of those uncertainties, or at least I would have liked to have some of those questions answered when I was doing my schooling. So I think it's just an interesting conversation, but yeah, certainly appreciate that. Dave? Yeah. And again, I think that's the more important thing is that you have the interest and the passion for it and the kind of the dedication to, to go into it. I've heard a lot of people mention different red flags that could come up, right? Some people might say exactly that I'm not looking for anybody that has a trade school degree. I'm just looking for a university degree. I don't think that's necessary. And I think that it could really could depend on the situation they're going into. I've even heard someone say that they saw a military background as a red flag. And I said, hold, because they thought those people were too rigid in general. And I was like, that is a extreme generalization. And the military has a, a huge variety of jobs. And sometimes even that rigidity can be very valuable in a certain role in a project, right? So look, all these factory, yeah. all these integration things, these are, they're all people, right? And people is the heart of all of this and being able to adapt and accommodate and figure out how that can all work together to make something produce at the end of the day is really important. And that's a lot of our jobs as leaders in the industry. Absolutely. I think those are great points. Sam Daniel also in the chat has a good point, basically saying that all backgrounds are very valuable, but being able to be open-minded and not just have the very single-minded, this is the only way how it's done is really important. And I think we've all worked with those folks who are, it's their way or the highway. And that's why we are still not working with those folks, j just in general. I, I do want to ask, I do want to ask the question because we talk to everyone we talk with about their backgrounds. We ask for some career advice. I think generally speaking, the group who is in manufacturing, we have some of the most wildly diverse backgrounds of any kind of industry, like lots of industries, you need a degree and you need to know someone in order to go get into the industry. And I feel like you almost never come across two of the same people in our industry in manufacturing or systems integration who have the exact same background, unless it's particularly, we have come out of engineering school and we went directly to work for this integrator and we have worked for this integrator or a number of integrators for our entire career because we probably didn't know about integration before, but we found it and we really liked it. And th this is what we're here. To that point, I guess from my perspective, the integrator of the future is going to have to find ways to take people from a variety of different backgrounds. And maybe it's a lot of the tech people who are currently seeing in the process of layoffs who don't have the hard hat and the steel-toed boots experience and be able to upskill them or maybe reskill them in the ways of the steel-toed boots and going and plugging into PLCs, but certainly having conversations in different environments. I would love to get your perspective on on what you think that is going to look like and if you think we're going to bring people from other tech from other backgrounds into manufacturing because there is certainly a demand yeah i think that i think that you're right and i think there is going to be a demand there and i could see a shift happening and i could see that actually happening in, in two ways also one of them is the reskilling and figuring out how existing how resources that are not from the integration world can fit into the world that we have today but I do think that kind of the other side of that coin is, are there 
opinions and kind of ways of doing things and technologies and ideas from that side of the world that maybe we haven't thought of as much in manufacturing and there's an opportunity for us to tie into it. And I think that's happening more and more today with smart manufacturing, the way that's, again, like when I started the idea of a plant doing anything beyond just basic ERP transactions for scheduling and goods issued was, was really a modern cutting edge thing. Whereas today, if your plant isn't exchanging data to some type of data lake or some type of corporate instance where you can do analytics, like you're falling behind. So I think that as we look at other kind of technical workers and from other high tech industries and how they can fit into the systems integration world is, are we going to start to offer more services around analytics and business intelligence and consulting and what to do with that data? Yeah, I think there's a little bit of room, wiggle room on both ends. Absolutely. I I would like to one make a shameless plug to Solus PLC Vlad's training site. If you guys are looking more to, to look to learn more about PLC and robotics, we have robotics training in there now. Yes, Vlad? Perfect. So if you guys are looking to learn more about PLC and robotics training, this is Dave's shameless pitch of going to look at VladSolusPLC.com. Yeah. Talking about you, Vlad, absolutely. Talking about Vlad, I want to talk about one of his biggest pet peeves. So, so Vlad went to MBA school and having gotten his MBA, Vlad, your biggest pet peeve is something to the effect of people who are unable or unwilling to go commit to a particular area and start every answer with it depends, right? Sure. And I guess to elaborate on that, Dave, <laughs> just a little bit, I think it's a very blank statement in general and i think that it needs to be followed up with it depends on what because as an expert at least in the field i'm most often paid to answer that question right or to provide options to the end user or whoever that might be versus just saying it depends so i guess like that's my typical statement is that it's not sufficient to say it depends it needs to be what does it depend on Okay. I, I do like that extra caveat that you put on it and describing what it depends on, because again, like going back to what we were talking about really early in the episode, right? A systems integrator has to be able to adapt to so many different environments that can mean so many different things that there's a lot of things that it can depend on, right? It depends on the integration specialty you have. If you are more of that PLC or electrical designer, or if you're more of that smart manufacturing or if you're going to be a little bit of everything it depends on if you're working for an automotive company or a food and beverage company or an energy company or a chemical company right it depends on if you're working for a factory that employs 15 people or a factory that employs 1500 right so there are a lot of different scale and differentiation points i think when we're talking about the systems integration world but i do agree with you that a lot of our job is to take all of those things that it depends on and turn that into a recommendation at the end of the day, right? I, for example, again, like we work a lot in the MES space, right? I have, and, and when a customer comes to me and says, what MES platform should I use? The answer is it depends. And I go through and explain a bunch of pros and cons to each. And then I usually will end and say, but for a food and beverage customer of your size, I recommend this the most often. And this is why. And that's the critical component for me, right? Because I think that you need to go through the process of synthesizing the information available, right? And that could be a site visit, that could be an inspection of their systems, that could be talking to their IT, OT people, right? Like to the right 
ultimately stakeholders that will be utilizing that system in order to make that determination, right? Mm -hmm. So I think, again, I understand that there is a, it depends, but I would like to figure out like what steps would you need to take to either get closer to an answer or to provide an answer that makes sense for that specific yeah. like business case? Because I, th I think we all understand that it's highly ambiguous. There's a lot of decisions to be made and it depends on many different things, but we need to try and narrow it down. So I certainly how to say it, put a lot of emphasis and respect people who are able to articulate what can be done to get to that final decision, which is ultimately what the end user needs at the end of the day. Yeah. And another one that I'll maybe mention is another inflection point. I think that comes up a lot of that in a lot of these conversations is your, your tolerance for kind of how much you're willing to stress into kind of a, uh, or to jump into kind of a newer technology player or something that is more innovative versus if you want to go with something that is very tried and true. So in, mm -hmm. I've seen more smaller startups in, in the automation space that have taken off and really challenged some of the larger, more established players in the space over the past five, 10 years than I have certainly in the earlier part of, of my career. There was only so many PLCs that you could really get for a while. And now there are companies like Opto22 that have shown, no, we can start a new PLC company and it can be just as reliable as a lot of the other things that are out there. There are still customers that are going to take that. No one ever gets fired for buying an IBM approach, but for there, but there are others that might really, it could be a perceived risk. Maybe not that who's to say, right? But there are other options out there too. And some might be tolerant to that and some might not be. I think all of those. I will are, add a, go ahead, Dave. Okay. I was going to say, I think all of those are really good points. And I like the caveats that Sam was having of it depends. But in my experience, this is a good place to start. I worked with a great senior engineer. His name was Ron, he, but he was the human embodiment of it depends. So a, a client would call him and he would say, instead of saying, this will go solve your problem, Sam, he would be like, here are five solutions in five separate proposals. I'm going to force you to make a decision, despite the fact that you called me asking me to solve your problem. So yeah. that, that was like the human embodiment. And you had made a really good point earlier about as Grand Tech grows, you have had to do more of that consulting approach, more of that consulting work on the upfront. And in my opinion, systems integrators of the future will have to do more of that upfront work and they will less rely on here is a random list of requirements, which may or may not actually solve our problem. And more so let's go actually determine what the root cause of your problem is. And mm -hmm. then we'll go build the system that, that will actually go solve the problems that you're having. And so I think with that, the answer, it depends, becomes worse and worse because at some point you're going to have to not only one, give the answer to the question of what should I do, but two, you're, if you do a good job on one, you're going to have to go build the solution that, that you go ahead and recommend. I guess I would love from your perspective, Sam, the shift in your, maybe the shift in your thought process as you've gone from the person building the solution to the person going to help understand what the requirements are before you build the solution and how you can go understand those processes and what the end user actually needs in order to be able to go deliver a, an answer to the question of what should I do? Yeah, I know what you mean. And I do think that that is a shift, right? And especially it's a bit of a shift in responsibility as integrators do take on more of that consulting role, right? The amount of times I've walked into a company, right? And they say, we just spent hundreds of thousands, if not more 
on this huge consulting engagement. And all I got was this PowerPoint. Can you please tell me how to make this PowerPoint into a real thing? And, and yeah. that's really not what a systems integrators consulting is going to do, right? We might take that PowerPoint or we might help deliver that PowerPoint, right? But at the end of the day, that's usually not where we're making our money. And that's not where the majority of our workforce is. So Grand Tech does consulting so that we can do the implementations, which means that yes, you're gonna have a couple of, it depends, but anytime you're doing that, it means that you're gonna go down a rabbit hole that you're gonna to need to figure out an answer to eventually. I do see one user in the chat, for example, said, instead of saying it depends, they like to say, what are you trying to accomplish? And I do think that's a really great, great tip that someone said. It's just LinkedIn user for me. I don't know why I wish I could say that by name, <laughs> but yeah, I really do think that's important to picture what that end goal is and construct a, an answer that, that you're actually going to be able to build to after that. Yeah, I would definitely agree that it's going to be certainly a shift. But Sam, if I can ask you the question of specialist versus generalist, right? And I know that obviously Grand Tech has the size to be all of those things, but if a systems integrator that is of a smaller side is looking at all the newer technologies that are coming up, right? We discussed that the stack is expanding even a simple plc can now talk to the clouds and data to the cloud so now you need to have maybe a cloud expert that's also able to set up those services do you see i want to say in general like systems integrators specializing on a specific maybe level of that stack or do you see them trying to encompass and provide a full like a to z solution from consulting all the way to implementation on all of those stacks like i'm curious yeah. where you see the industry going from that sense that it depends. No, I, okay. Um, okay. thank you, Sam. Thank you. <laughs> oh, sorry. I haven't touched my mouse in too long and I lost you guys for a second. I don't know if you can cut, but yeah, but now I'm back. No, but for real, I think that individual companies are going to need to answer that for themselves and what they want to do, right. And who they want to be when they grow up and who their customers want them to be when they grow up too. Right. I think that's look, there, there is nothing wrong with saying. I'm going to be the best PLC integrator in the world. We're going to know every brand that's out there. We're going to do it more cost effectively. We're going to do it more efficiently and we're going to be able to get all this stuff out there or it could be, no, we're a full stack integrator that really can take you from preliminary engineering design. And then we can do everything turnkey with them. We'll bring in the electrical installers. We'll have them on staff. We'll do the data side like that. There's again, it's. We, it's not our job to put what a systems integrator is, I think, in a box. I think there are going to be full <laughs> systems integrators and there might be more PLC programmers and things like that. And again, you might, you want some agency in what you want to be, right? You don't want to be forced into making a company that, or being a part of a company that really doesn't meet your vision. But to a certain extent, it does depend on what your customers want to, right? If you're, if, yeah. if you say, I want to be the ultimate company that does PLCs and cybersecurity and those two things and nothing in between, you might not find a lot of customers that have exactly those two specialties and the rest of the gap in between it, like they'll find somebody else for, right? If you're going to do something that's at level one jump all the way to the networking cybersecurity jump, like that's a huge uh, gap to cover. So yeah, what your customers are going to want out of you, I think is really going to drive that too. Depends on size and things like that. So uh, again, I'm hopefully giving and some clarity to why that depends. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's why it's an interesting conversation, right? Because I don't think there's a single answer, but at the same time, in a few examples that come to mind, right? So in our network, we have a person called Josh Varghese, right? And he's the expert on OT networks only. And he's the on the guy that you call for that specific skill versus there's other guys that I believe it was James who made a post yesterday that whatever challenge comes your way, you should be pretty much taking that, right? And it could be PLC programming. The next day you're setting up electrical panels. Then the next day you're helping with the paint shop. And like, I'm trying to figure that out as I even grow in my career and like what decisions need to be made in general to optimize the skill sets. Because on one side, if you're a very large company, you'd want someone who's in some instances, very specialized and knows their craft. But in other instances, maybe it makes a bit more sense to have a generalist who can bring in a lot of skill set. But again, I don't have an answer either. I'm just like curious well, uh, and, on both of your thoughts. It's and I spoke at like kind of the company level too, right? But at the individual level, I do think there's a fit for each of those. At Grand Tech, we do. We have people that really do specialize in a certain type of system, say an MES system, where we have a couple of people that are really brilliant at doing R&D style database and network design, right? And we we have the clients and the work that kind of do come up with enough interesting challenges that we know that this guy who has this like very specialty kind of knowledge, we, we fill his plate. Uh, there, there's plenty of stuff for him to do, right? But the nice thing about it is for a systems integrator, right? Again, going on to the business side of things, the, your people or your product a lot of the time, right? And the way that you get and the way that you get revenue from those engineers is by having them work billable hours on projects at the end of the day, which means that being right. able to schedule them and have them have a consistent schedule with as few gaps as possible is really important for business continuity. That's easier to do with a generalist than it is with a specialist, but you can't maybe get all of the work that you need for your generalists unless you have the specialty knowledge you need to really show that you can do all of the projects that might come in your door, right? So I do think that's why the conversation comes up and why there is room for both. Interesting. Absolutely. I like that nuance also. The fact that it's more difficult for a specialist that I'd be curious, I guess that's going to be a deep conversation. So I don't want to get into those weeds, but that's really interesting as a comment. Dave? We will talk more about that. But first, we have some people to thank. We want to thank Opto22 for sponsoring Manufacturing Hub this month. If you guys are watching, you guys will see the beautiful Opto22 facility. And then with Opto22, they're a California-based, privately held manufacturer of industrial automation hardware and software. They have nearly five decades of experience with an installed base in the millions at thousands of customers worldwide and are known for highly reliable, mission-critical, USA-made products backed by lifetime warranties. Then what makes Opto22 products unique is that their engineering philosophy for combining rugged, reliable OT systems and with open IT technology, technologies into affordable and versatile products that save developers, engineers, and technicians time, money, and effort. Opto's flagship products are the Groove Epic, an edge programmable industrial controller, and the Groove Rio, an Ethernet-based universal remote I.O. system. Learn more about Opto22 and the Groove products at opto22.com. And I'm going to have Vlad do the Vanna White thing, as I love to do every time we've got hardware up on the board. <laughs> Vlad, Vlad's going to roll back. He's going to showcase that is the that is the Groove. And then we've got a Rio floating around somewhere there as well. Right next um, 
It's right next to it. So one of my favorite stories about Opto, and we've had Benson on a couple of times, one of my favorite stories about Opto, and, and I have to share it every time it comes up, is that especially on their relays, but a lot of the things they do are 200% tested, right? And you got, you might ask the same question I ask of what is 200% testing? And so they go test every single unit that co goes out of their facility and they'll go test it, at, especially for their, their solid state relays, at the top end of the temperature limits and then at the bottom end of the temperature limits to make sure that the, those go ahead and work, which I think is really interesting. And we should talk more about the 200% tested, which is completely different from the, I don't know, we'll test one every three or 400. And assuming that works, we'll assume everything else in the batch is good. But we do, again, want to thank Opto for sponsoring this theme and for all of your continued support of Manufacturing Hub and the community. Sam. I'd like to dig a bit into the into the food and beverage and into life sciences, as we talked about. So I guess my question to you is, can you tell us a little bit about the food and beverage that you guys work in now comparative to the life sciences? And then what you think the future of continuing to work in those businesses are going to look like, please? Yeah, good question. So Grand Tech, again, like we, we work in all sorts of different industries, but the majority of our work is food and beverage and life sciences. That's really where our expertise lies. And yeah, they are things that are very similar and different. On one hand, again, these are all industrial automation systems, right? I used to joke, yeah, one day you're figuring out, you're taking the knowledge of how you just make, baked a bunch of cookies and figuring out how you use to make biotherapeutic drugs at scale. It's wild kind of, but that knowledge does transfer, but yeah, being able to program a line controller and collect all the data that you need to put up the proper reports and things like that. Yeah, the fundamentals are kind of the same. But they are certainly very different industries, right? Like food and beverage, traditionally significantly lower margin than something like a life sciences company. The regulations around the two are very different, right? While they're both regulated by the FDA in the US, there is a different level of quality control done for food and beverage products than there are for life sciences products and pharmaceuticals, which are notoriously highly regulated and the process of validating those systems, making sure that you're making high quality and consistent product every single time is very rigorous and something that can sometimes cost more to do than the actual implementation of the project itself. So yeah, for Grand Tech, we actually do have kind of engineers that are usually specialize in one or the other, but again, there's a generalist aspect to it and you are expected to be able to play a little bit in both worlds. I personally, for example, more of a food and beverage guy. I was embedded in a food and bev plant for about a year and a half early in my career and learned a ton while I was there, but I have also programmed electronic batch record systems. And I've had to put the bunny suit on and go and tour a, a pharmaceutical facility to figure out how they were going to do AGVs and things like that. Yeah. It is really interesting how similar and different those two industries can be. Absolutely. If I may ask a follow-up, what do you predict that the future of those industries are going to be? So food and beverage, generally fairly unregulated. Life sciences, about as regulated as any industry can get. And as we were talking about this, and you're like, but they're still both run by the FDA, right? Yeah. And it, I took a step back and I'm like, wow, that is true, but that is so <laughs> different, right? Like it is, again, almost difficult to find two polar extremes, much less two polar extremes regulated, at least in the United States, by the same governing body. So do you predict that the future of food and beverage will, will get more into kind of what you're seeing with life sciences? How are you guys preparing for the future and to continue to 
stay a leading integrator in both of those verticals? Yeah, that's a really great question. A lot of it does follow. Actually, I would say there's two things that kind of that drive the future behaviors of each industry, right? And that is regulatory requirements, right? And just business requirements too, right? So on the regulatory side, for example, one of the next big things coming up for food and beverage manufacturers is a new regulations through FISMA, the Food Safety Modernization Act, that are really going to focus around traceability and track and trace, right? So again, that those are the systems that's as much as possible kind of help you to guide from, okay, I got these lots of food that came into my plant and in my warehouse, and they went through these processes at these times and made it into these products that then went out to the end of the day. So if there is a food safety issue and we need to issue a recall, I can do a very targeted and rapid recall of those specific food products. Again, that might sound like something that you would expect every food and beverage manufacturer to be able to do. And they can to a certain extent, right? There are existing rules around that, but they're getting more particular and more strict. Whereas if you look at the life sciences industry, they've had that for a long time, right? They've had these large serialization and traceability projects where really you can take the serial number on any drug that you have and bring that all the way back to the day and the batch records that manufacture. So the next regulation that's coming up in the life sciences industry that we're seeing is a lot around alarm management and kind of alarm trending, right? So today you have your electronic batches, you have, you might have a deviation or alarm that comes up as a part of that, right? And you can address it and continue on. And just to make sure as long as you're documenting it and doing the proper checks and things like that, you're fine for an auditor. What we're actually seeing is more trends around them looking deeper into actually alarm trends, right? If it's, hold on, every time you run this batch of this product, you always have three high temperature alarms. Yes, I know you're passing quality at the end of the day, but isn't that something you guys are concerned about and should be looking into a little bit more? That's the next level of what's happening in life sciences sometimes from a regulatory standpoint. Now, on the other side, the other thing I said was more of like business challenges, specifically thinking like manufacturing business challenges, right? Food and beverage, turnover of operating personnel is the one thing you hear about them struggling with the most, right? A lot of temp workers, a lot of people that don't have a lot of tenure working at these plants, which can be due to other business decisions that some of those companies are making too, and the way that they want to pay their labor and kind of have those contracts and things like that worked out. But either way, a lot of the issue for them is how do they deal with the fact that you're going to have people come in all the time that aren't necessarily you need to get trained and knowledgeable and have them doing their job quickly. And how can we be using technology to, to streamline that process, right? So we're seeing more electronic work instructions. We're seeing more automated systems to try to take out some of the things that you need to train those people on in general, right? So I'd say that's some of the business trends driving food and bev. Whereas I think, again, for life sciences and pharmaceuticals, Qual that those quality checks and that validation, it, again, is always such a big thing. Anything that you can be doing to streamline that, to automate that, to make self-validating systems it is always really appealing. And then also, again, since they tend to have a little bit more capital on hand because they have higher margins, they're usually a little bit more curious about kind of the higher tech stuff, right? The big industry 4.0 pictures, right? How can I be using... 5G and artificial intelligence and things like that. It, it happens on the food and bed side too, but it's happening faster in life sciences. Interesting. And I guess like the comment slash question I will make some is it's also, 
I guess in my at least experience, the OEE returns are different between those industries, right? I think that a lot of the plants, at least on the food side, because maybe of those slower margins, are trying to just get the infrastructure right versus those pharma companies are going to be squeezing that last couple of percentage points, which are massive returns for them, but are ultimately looking at slightly different technologies. Is that also... I guess that was your one of your last comments. Yeah, um, although again, like I, I have seen life sciences plants that are running at 15, 20% OEE. Really? It's, yeah, it, it's really interesting. And again, like that's usually just seen as a huge business opportunity for them to increase those rates. Oh, heck, I have to plug myself a little bit here because we did a webinar and we're about to do another live Q&A on it where I talk about how you can try to just map OE points to direct dollars to have ROI conversations a little bit more effectively, right? And uh, yeah, you talk about a point of ROI differently if it's going to save you a thousand dollars or a million dollars, that's for sure. Yep. Dave? Absolutely. I would say I, I generally agree with the comments that Sam has been making. I think across both industries, what we hear a lot about in the news is kind of like top of class places, right? So the place that is best at going and making the food, the places that is best at going and making the drugs or the medical devices. What we generally don't hear about is the place that you could go trip over 30% OEE walking the first 200 feet into the door. Yeah. That is not what we talk a lot about. And I think that a lot of those are like legacy facilities that they've always run. They've always run at approximately what they're running and they need to potentially look at newer technology. And I think we've seen a lot of companies, especially over the last five, 10 years, it either become new startups in these verticals or build new facilities in these verticals with newer equipment and technology that it's just generally assumed we're going to be able to do things like calculate OD, that we're going to have track and trace and we're going to have it for very specific quality reasons as opposed to we're going to have the minimal amount needed in order to pass whichever FDA requirements we are looking at. I think that th those are very good. Sam, if you're talking to other integrators, if you are forward looking, what are like the top couple of takeaways that you have? What will integrators of the future need to be? What will they need to become? Yeah, I do think that, again, that kind of consulting and design piece that we've talked about a couple of times, I do think that responsibility is shifting over to integrators more and more, as is the business knowledge with our customers as well. Again, I end up being responsible for writing our customers' business cases to justify our own projects a lot of the time. And yeah, I don't think that all integrators have been, have been doing that for a really long time. I also do think that there is more expectations around higher technology, more IT style literacy. So the idea, again, like the idea before of having your manufacturing data connecting to a database, when I started at, at Grant Tech 14 years ago, like you, you saw it, but it wasn't as commonplace as it is today. There's tools like Ignition that have right-click add-in database. <laughs> and it makes that very easy, but it also, there, there's a certain amount of knowledge that you need to have around with that too. You're about to blow up a hard drive if you're not, if you're just clicking that all the time and you might need to have some database design experience, some network experience, some server sizing experience to figure that out, right? I am glad that term manufacturing IT went away. I never really liked it, but I do think that kind of OT is taking on more responsibilities or more classically associated with IT. Awesome. Uh, I really like that. And let me maybe throw a lighter question at you, Sam, on the technology side. So we're certainly seeing a lot of new things coming out. We're seeing AI slash ChatGPT. We saw a lot of robotics and different ways of 
I want to say implementing that at Automate. There's many new technical advancements that are coming in. What are maybe, do you have any interesting things that you're looking forward at integrating that you can share with us? Or is, is there something in particular that maybe excites you a little bit more? on the integration side? Yeah, good question. I mean, I'll tell you kind of what I'm looking for and kind of what I want to find and be excited about is especially in AI, right? AI, I think, has captured the attention of so many people, especially again with ChatGPT and this huge leap that we just saw in generative AI. Though I do think that it's a step change and will probably level out for a little bit, right? It's going to be, that's probably generally as good as it's going to get until some other huge innovation happens potentially, right? That's crystal ball gazing there for sure. But I think that even beyond AI, right, and some of the other newer technologies that are out there, AGVs, like historians, things like that, there's where there's more startups that pop up. I want to see more of them get past the fake it till you make it phase. I want people that have shown I have real implementations or I have a real demo system that can really work for this. I still see a lot of companies out there in those areas that are, are promising the world. And when you start digging in a little bit deeper, you realize pretty quickly that there's not a lot of meat to it. So yeah, I'm really excited to see the next generation of more innovative tech startups get out there, start to really make progress and not immediately get acquired. <laughs> yeah, I'll be honest with you. There's a lot of things, I guess, that I also read about and there's many things on my wish list, but there's there's anything from like exoskeletons to drones inside factories. And I've been to R&D centers that have tested drones and delivering raw materials to the lines using drones, which obviously did not succeed or I haven't seen it in production yet, but there's a lot of conversations around those, at least the items, any, anything like on your list that oh. you're like, Hey, like it, it sucks that it failed, but I really wish someone could figure this out. You know what? I actually, then I go back to that university passion of mine around robotics and kind of not the, mm -hmm. not the automatic welder robotics that we've had for decades on automotive assembly lines. I'm talking about like spot dogs running around with loads on their back, delivering payloads, or like you said, kind of drones going and monitoring certain pieces of equipment, right? There, there's reasons that I think prevent us from doing some of those things today. For example, think about, think about the practicalities of a drone flying around in a food and bev plant, right? You get one gear in that thing that's not quite working right, you might end up with some metal shavings inside of something that then might go out the door, right? So I think we have to do it safely and we have to have the right value proposition to justify those technologies, but I can't wait to see it actually come to fruition. I think it's gonna be really cool to have more, not, not again, not collaborative robots, like the way that we're thinking of them necessarily today of basically slow, very safe robots, but the ones that are walking around with you and interacting and moving and, and doing all of that in our everyday lives. Yeah, Absolutely. That's going to be awesome, yeah. Dave. To, to the drones point, uh, when I was in Hanover, and Vlad is really tired of me saying this, but, but I have this awesome video clip that I will be sure to share. It is a startup in Europe, and they have this pain point of there are lots of places that they go draw blood and they don't, they've got a couple of central laboratories. So it is this drone that is almost egg shaped and you put a bunch of vials and other things into the drone off of a conveyor belt. It literally goes and picks it up and it flies it to the central laboratory, which saves huge amounts of time than go to going and sitting in traffic. And so I thought that was really interesting. They are still, from my understanding, very early stage but they had the conveyor that worked. They, they had the little kind of tracked robot thing 
that, that went and picked it up off of the conveyor and it put it into the uh, put it into the drone and then the drone doors closed. And so that was very interesting. I, I'm excited to see applications like that. I will throw out because just yesterday or no, I guess two days ago now, Apple had their WWDC, their developer conference. Yeah, yeah. They have the Vision Pro. I guess I have been second most excited about about AR in this in the conversation. We have Bob Meads Bob Meads on maybe a year or a year and a half ago, and he's done a lot of AR stuff. He was the first person who showed me, let me play around with an AR and a Hololens in a manufacturing side. And so I'm excited to see what that transitions to. Obviously, we're not putting $3,500 super fragile Apple branded headsets on everyone. But I'm excited to go see that push out into the future and to see what that can become. Sam, but Sam, speaking of the future, I love to put everyone on the spot and ask for some future predictions. So I'm going to leave it broad. We've talked about so many topics today. What do you think the future looks like? Oof. I do think that a lot of these technologies that we're talking about are going to find more use cases and become more implemented in manufacturing, right? I do especially see that happening on the data analytics side and that's the data crunching side of what is going on with our manufacturing data right i think that a lot of the ai solutions i've seen applied to manufacturing today are still solving one very specific problem right preventative maintenance yep. based on vibration data or something like that i think that more but the goal of ai is going to be more in tailored applications that solve specific problems for a business or a process or a factory, right? And that is yep. going to be a heavier lift because it's not going to be a one size fits all approach, right? There is still going to be a human doing the prompting and designing the systems that are going to be able to accommodate that. I've seen hints of it. I've seen promises of it. I haven't really seen it done at scale in a way that's really interesting, but I do think that has huge implications for the way that we manage supply chains, the way that we get more efficiency out of our systems and, and things like that. Although I'll also mention that I think it's a, it's a very sexy problem to solve. It's not necessarily an everyday problem to solve, right? The idea that I don't see an AI coming in and solving the fact that I might have a completely different shift, shift of operators every single week, right? And I think that kind of there are more practical tools that are at our fingertips right now today that can go and solve those problems if people identify those as the problems that they want to solve. Absolutely. I think that uh, I am hopeful that is also the future. I would love that if that is the future. Ne next question I'd like to ask is for a book recommendation. It's one of our, it's one of our most fun things. We got a bunch of great book recommendations, but I know you have one for us and we're excited about it. Yeah, I was because, so, so this is a book that we all read as a senior leadership team recently. It's Traction, Get a Grip on Your Business by Gino Wickman. So one of the reasons I like this book and I wanted to bring it up is that a Again, going back to the earlier conversation, so many of these systems integration companies started from engineers, by engineers for manufacturing plants, right? We might be like, glad I get to go and get an MBA, but not everybody has gone and done that. And we're professionals mm -hmm. of how automation systems and how industrial systems work, which can be a good analogy to how a company works, but it's not necessarily how a company works. And yes. what traction is kind of all about is about really making sure that you're setting solid. It, 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 sorry, I'm going to back up a little bit. What it's what it gives you is they call it an enterprise operating system, right? The idea being mm -hmm. that you've built up all these business processes and things like that kind of ad hoc over time. 
but there are a couple of things that kind of every company needs to be able to do. And here is a fairly specific way that you can be doing them. And you're still going to tweak it to the way that your business works and things like that. But it goes from as simple as how you might be able to run a very efficient, regular weekly meeting to how do you establish accountability and really enforce that accountability and empowerment within your company as well. I really enjoyed it and I got a lot out of it. It's something that we're actively going through the journey of trying to implement. And yeah, if you're a company that wants to make sure that you're not just putting up those corporate goals and then every year only hitting half of them, right? And you really want to make sure that you're making progress. I think it gives a really good formula for how to do that. Awesome. No, I appreciate that. Thank you so much, Sam. I'm interested in reading the book. I think that I've gotten a bunch of shakes, heads, yeses from Vlad. So so Vlad and I may go through that together and report back, which is exciting. I'd like to ask for some career advice. And I know we talked about a bunch of different ways to get into integration. So I want to take the obvious of if you're an engineer and you're listening to this, certainly consider going into integration because you get to learn a ton of things. And worst case scenario, you decide integration isn't for you and you've learned, I don't know, five years of experience in the first six months on on the job. But besides that, Sam, what sort of career advice do you have for us? Yeah, I would encourage people to acknowledge if they want to set a very specific goal and then put together a plan to get it, or if they're happier wandering through the desert and kind of taking the opportunities that come to them and that you don't really need to just stick to one answer around that. I'm somebody who wandered through the desert for a long time. Again, I started as that programmer. I had a management opportunity. I had a project manager opportunity. I had a different departmental opportunity. And and again, now I have this opportunity to really be a voice in our company and the way that it's run. And I'm lucky that I stumbled onto that. Certainly some of it I'd like to think was my own aptitude, maybe. But also like they they happened to to show up there too and I happened to want to grab them at the time. That is one way to do it. It's a pretty unintentional way to do it. You can also do something like, I really like the idea of managing people and the more human side of this. And I like to do that internally. I want to manage a team of 30 engineers, right? and think about what are the steps that I'm going to need to do to get there? What are the mentors that I could do to help guide that mission, right? And and again, you can switch back and forth between them. I'm actually at a point now where I'm thinking, I do want to manage more people. I do that leadership side of things. And I certainly lead a lot of people at Grand Tech right now, but what is a way that I can grow a team that kind of, I get to lead a little bit more and what are the steps in my career is going to take to do that? So yeah, I, I think there's not a right answer, but I think it is valuable either way to acknowledge which category you're in and think about how you're going to progress in your career through that path. Absolutely. I love that. And I appreciate that. And we have certainly had the conversation. And as longtime listeners know, Vlad and I also have done things for different periods of time and then transitioned or moved or went back to school to go do other things. And so to double down on Sam's point, what you're doing today doesn't have to be what you're doing six months from now. And what you're doing six months from now certainly doesn't have to be what you're doing 10 years from now. There are plentiful opportunities, and especially in automation and manufacturing and systems integration, very rarely, if you have skills, are you pigeon held into one position for your entire career with the assumption of sometimes you may have to go to another place in order to go continue to find career opportunities. And that's one of the really cool things I think about systems integration in particular is that there's a lot of opportunities like that within the same company. Again, I've done a lot of this within just one company over 14 years. I think it offers a lot of versatility that a lot of other industries and and businesses might not. 
Absolutely. I would agree with this. Sam, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much. The last question for you is a general, how can our community help you? Who should reach out to you? Are you guys at Grand Tech looking to hire? Are you looking to hire? Are you guys looking for new customers? Very open. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. How can we help you? Oh yeah, of course. Again, Grand Tech is a growth oriented company. We're growing all the time, which means that yes, to what you said, both if you are an engineer who is looking to join a systems integrator company or make a switch or kind of take on a new specialty. We're especially focused again in that smart manufacturing side of things these days. Our, our smart manufacturing and MES teams growing as our, is our customer base. We have a ton of great opportunities coming in over there. And then on the customer side as well, right? Again, if you are a food and beverage customer or a life sciences customer, and especially maybe some of those things I mentioned around I'm not just looking someone that I can hand a spec to and they're going to take it and program to it. I need someone who's going to help collaborate with me and figure out what we're going to do and then help me do it. I think that Grand Tech yep. is the type of company to, to help you out with that. Awesome. Sam, th this has been awesome. Thank you so much for coming and hanging out. I feel like every show is like the fastest 90 minutes we talk to anyone over the course of the week, but thank you. This has been awesome. Thank you for everyone in the chat. We've had so many amazing comments from a ton of people, especially people getting into the, getting into the conversation of it depends that we've been <laughs> having on here. But with that, everyone, thank you for being here. Thank you to Feropta22 for sponsoring this. If you guys are watching live, please remember to hit the like and subscribe. If you're watching on LinkedIn, you can go ahead and connect and follow with Sam and Vlad and myself. Please follow Manufacturing Hub, where we'll have all of our clips and all of the podcasts, everything as it comes out. If you guys are listening on podcast form, thank you so much for doing that. Please remember to follow and rate us five stars everywhere you can do that. I have learned that if I remember to ask you guys to do that, you do that in the podcast grows. So. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. We'll see everyone next week. Thank you. Great. Thanks for having me, guys. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Bye. Sam. Yeah.